Have you ever been assigned a patient that winds up being not so cut and dry? Like those patients in acute care or the nursing home who have dysphagia but struggle to complete exercises or compensatory strategies because of their intellectual or developmental disability. Or the patient with respiratory failure who develops respiratory-driven cardiac arrest, gets intubated for 10 plus days, and is on a trach and vent. Oh, and he also has a history of stroke, congestive heart failure, COPD, diabetes, and traumatic brain injury. No textbook or single webinar could ever prepare you for that. But we have something that can help you get there, and it's totally free. On May 19th, the MedSLP Collective is hosting another never-been-done-before virtual summit titled Advanced Therapy for Complex Patients, a Medical SLP's Guide. Learn critical concepts with actionable steps you can take for those not-so-cut-and-dry cases. You can earn up to 0.8 advanced ASHA CEUs if you are or you become a member of the MedSLP Collective, and the recording is also available inside of the Collective. Ready to scale your clinical skills? Go to medslpcollective.com forward slash summit to register today. This is episode 217 of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, and today's guest, Teresa Viber-Lamont, has been working with patients with swallowing disorders since 1996 and is a acute care and outpatient therapist. She has served as an internship supervisor and mentor to young clinicians from multiple universities and countries. She has become an internationally recognized SLP and authority on Easton and dysphagia and is the innovator behind the Viber Protocol, a protocol she developed in 1999 that has saved hundreds, if not thousands, of lives. She was the electrotherapy expert consultant on a large multi-center placebo-controlled randomized clinical trial funded by the NIH and is also currently working on a large state-of-the-art review as well as collaborating with a European company to develop a prototype for an EEG swallowing rehab system using a brain-computer interface. Teresa has lectured and taught extensively in the U.S. and abroad in Asia, Europe, and Latin America on the topics of e-stim and head, neck, cancer, and dysphagia. There have been an estimated 1 million treatments using the Viber protocol worldwide with consistently reported excellent outcomes and no adverse events. There have been three FDA-cleared devices based on the Viber protocol with the fourth one in process. Teresa has also cross-trained in a multitude of PT protocols and has developed manual therapy techniques specific for the post-radiation head, neck, cancer patient, but applicable for many patients. Teresa has published multiple articles and was also awarded the 2014 Employee Recognition by the Physician Medical Staff at Broward Health and received the Covenant Best Inpatient Care by the American Health Council. She is also a chosen member of Cambridge Who's Who among executives and professionals. Teresa has also served her community both in the States and abroad, volunteering frequently with Habitat for Humanity and the Global Orphan Project in Haiti. Her years of clinical practice and pursuit of humanitarian work has solidified her place among healthcare professionals. She is well-known and loved for her passion for her work and her compassion for others. She deeply cares about the human condition and the impact of disease and disorder on the social and psychological well-being of individuals and families. She is passionate about her patients and her profession and feels it is an honor and a privilege to help others regain the ability to eat, speak, vocalize, and think. Please check out her website at the Viber Protocol, the T-H-E, Viber, B-I-B-E-R, protocol.com for more info. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, a mobile fees business owner, and founder of the MedSLP Collective. This podcast is all about delivering the latest evidence-based practice to medical SLPs everywhere. Whether you're a new clinician seeking tangible tools for treatment or a seasoned vet stuck in a rut, 
My goal is to help ditch the old school ways of the past that no longer serve you or your patients, to reinvigorate your passion for our field, to broaden your knowledge about our scope of practice, and to inspire you to practice at the top of your license. So if you're listening, I encourage you to swallow your pride, be open and willing to learn, because let's face it, your patients deserve that kind of care. With that, let's dive right in. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. Hello, Teresa. Hello, Teresa. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you so much for having me. And let me first say it is a distinct honor and pleasure to be here on your podcast. I have great admiration for your work. You have done something that I wished I would have had. I sound like a boomer now. Back in my day, we didn't have these kind of things. Um, no, we really didn't have any place to land for the medical speech language pathologists. We really were out there on your own. And that's where you were. And that's why you started this. And that's so freaking amazing. Thank oh. you. Well, thank thank you. you. I know that. You have provided basically a bridge, if you will, and also a safe place for medical speech language pathologists to land and to get good information that's solid, evidence-based, informative, helpful, all of the things that those of us who are in the field working really, you know, benefit from and really need. Because sometimes, like, I was a sole practitioner in a, in a hospital, a 250-bed hospital. That was, it was me, you know. So I don't have anybody to turn to to ask questions to. Um, and then I'm training interns, so they're asking me the questions, you know. So thank you, thank you, thank you for the work that you're doing. And keep it up. You're doing a great job. Oh. Well, thank you. I just stick you in my pocket and take you around. <laughs> thank you, Teresa. I, and that's really, I mean, some days I don't feel like I do anything other than just navigate a circus. Basically, I created this whole platform and there's just so many wonderful people that are doing all the work on it. And I'm just keeping the keeping the ship afloat here, I feel like at times. But thank you for your words. You're the conduit. I mean, and without a conduit, then it doesn't matter all of the great work that those people are doing if they don't have a place where that information is shared in a meaningful and informative and hopefully entertaining way, right? Yeah. 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 Well, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Well, tell the people who you are. Uh, well, I am Teresa Biber Lamonti, and as you know, stated in my bio, I have quite an extensive history, so I... um, Without tooting my own horn, I am arguably probably the most eminent expert on NMES and dysphagia. I've been doing this for 20 years with, uh, and it, you know, utilizing NMES in the clinical practice, developing the protocol initially under the um, direction and supervision of the physical therapy department of the Cleveland Clinic. You know, read multiple textbooks on electrotherapy, have literally read thousands of articles. So I've been studying this and practicing this for 20 years and teaching. For 20 years. Um, so I, I, this is something near and dear to my heart. And it all started for the same reason that all of us do what we do. I wanted to get my patients better, right? right. And, yep. and I wanted to get them better quicker and more efficiently and more effective. I didn't want to just get them off a peg tube. I wanted to get them on a regular diet. Okay. You know, I had big laudable goals and I really felt like because so much of swallowing is physical, it really is physical. We're talking sensory integration, you know, motor movement. So I felt like we had more of a chance to really remediate that. And that's why I love working with swallowing. It's really, to me, it's very, 
very clear cut, very black and white. Once you identify where the problem is, now how do you fix that problem? As opposed to aphasia, which, you know, I loved treating aphasia, but I just, I just kind of felt like I was sometimes, you know, going in circles. Um, and I was effective and a good, but I just felt like with, with swallowing, I could see like direct results, you know, like really clear cut. Patients now off, you know, thick and liquids. That's like a clear cut result, you know, um, functional gains. Um, cause you know, in aphasia, how sometimes people do great in therapy and then they go out and it doesn't really translate. So it's not the same in swallowing. If they can do it in your therapy session, they can do it at home or in a restaurant. So, uh, yeah, so that's, and I, I live in Costa Rica now full time, live in the Pura Vida with my husband, Nick Lamonti and love in life. And what can I say? Yeah, I'm, I'm just a happy person and I'm happy to be here and I'm happy to help others help their patients swallow better. Amazing. I love it. All right. So where should we start, Teresa? Well, I think probably the best thing to do is to, uh, let me start by saying, just kind of leading your listeners into a few um, things. So uh, basically, the truth is still the truth, even if nobody believes it. And a lie is still a lie, even if everybody believes it. And we know we're more aware now of the misinformation and disinformation, which is two very distinctive things. So let me just clarify. Misinformation is they just don't know any better. Okay. (laughs) Disinformation is a deliberate attempt to mislead. And believe me, that has happened with NMES, with dysphagia, because there is a very basic fundamental truth. And that is NMES works as long as you use it correctly. And if you use it correctly, it's going to save you time, it's going to save you money, and it's going to save lives. And so why wouldn't we want to implement a modality that's been proven literally over hundreds of years of research? So I think that's the first thing I kind of want to set that out there as as um, a kind of a global perspective on the topic of NMES. Now, In addition to that, there is the misinformation, or I should say even misunderstanding, is people throw out this term, NMES, NMES, everything's NMES, NMES, if you're using it, NMES. It's not, and that's where the the waters got really muddied. So to give your listeners a little tutorial, a little brief one, and by the way, before I forget, um, I have a website, thebiberprotocol.com. Uh, there is a plethora, there's like 40 pages of information there, all of which can be externally validated by, you know, outside resources. Um, please, you know, listeners, go through that and look at all the evidence and the facts and the science and everything behind NMES for dysphagia. And I think you'll find it a very useful tool in helping you to understand, you know, how this works and why this works. Um, so the, so, The term electrotherapy is like a very broad term that is simply the use of electrical pulses applied externally, you know, on the body to evoke a physiological response. So, I mean, it's just basic. If you put electricity on your skin, it's going to respond, right, in some way, shape, or form. Now, the way in which the body responds to that ultimately is you want it for a therapeutic benefit. So what that means is you have to refine 
and um, define a very specific electrical stimulation protocol for whatever purpose you're looking for. So if you're looking to heal a wound, for example, you can use electrotherapy. If you're looking to alleviate pain, you can use electrotherapy. If you're looking to restore muscle function where muscle function has been lost, and that's where we would come in, or nerve function, electrotherapy can be used. So that's the, that's probably the best term to use if you're not clear on the exact protocol. NMES stands for neuromuscular electrical stimulation. And you would say, well, okay, well, that's any application of electricity, like, you know, using it for neuromuscular reasons. Yes. Well, yes, but really it's very specific. Um, so NMES is the use of electrical impulses that are modified and manipulated. Those are key words. You have to be able to modify and manipulate the electrical stimulation parameters because you have to be able to customize them for your patient's specific needs. So NMES, the use of electrical pulses that are modified and manipulated to evoke an action potential. We're getting extremely specific here. We're using that electrical current to literally evoke an action potential. And it does, and it's been proven, and it's been shown in functional MRIs. We don't need to debate that topic. It evokes an action potential, right? So it evokes an action potential, and it does it through a transcutaneous medium, okay? We don't need to do anything with needles or anything internal or intrinsic. We can actually apply uh, electrical stimulation protocol on the skin, on the surface of the skin, and reach muscles, deep muscles. And again, this has been proven in functional MRIs, you know, throughout the years. Um, so these are facts. You can't change the facts. Um, so, so I think that's the first thing. So if you have a protocol that doesn't meet the standards of NMES, meaning that the parameters are modifiable, meaning that there is a, a contraction relaxation cycle of a one to three work to rest ratio. So there's all these very specific standards. Um, that are required to be NMES. So the best term to use would be electrotherapy, or you could just say electrical stimulation for dysphagia if you're not clear on the protocol, because protocol matters. Protocol matters. NMES works as long as you use it correctly. And protocol matters. It matters. The parameters matter. So I think that's probably probably the biggest uh, clarification I could provide for your listeners. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Do we want to get into into the protocols yet? Or, you know, I think that's what everyone gets so confused about because it's like, does NMEFs work? Short answer for some people is yes. Short answer for some people is no. Right. Well, the short answer that people say no is wrong. And I'm just going to say that because it does work. Again, now it doesn't work on every person in every con- under every condition. And no, of course not. Nothing does. But NMES does what it is designed to do. It's designed to evoke an action potential. Okay, so why would we evoke an action potential? Well, we evoke an action potential to get a muscle to move. So in layman's terms, you have electrical pulses that tell the nerve to tell the muscle to move in the exact same way that our brain transfers information, you know, from top down to tell a muscle to move, you can stimulate those same mechanisms from the periphery, you know, from a bottom up, right? So what muscles, first of all, can we access, right, with electrical stimulation? And what do we want those muscles to do when we access them? 
right? So what we want to do is we have to look at physically what do we, what can we reach, right? Where we don't have anything yet, any kind of intraoral or, you know, um, a few years ago, I tried to work on something that it's very complicated, but hopefully one day somebody will come up with an intraoral appliance that provides electrical stimulation for tongue movement, for example, and palatal movement. But you have access to essentially, you know, the submental region and anterior neck. Okay, these are where your swallowing muscles are housed, right? And so we have to say, well, what muscles are we stimulating and why? Well, let's talk about what muscles we want to stimulate. So the only muscles that make sense biologically, physiologically, and functionally to stimulate are the suprahyoid muscles. Why? Because they are the muscles that perform the leading edge of the swallow. They are the muscles that lift the larynx up and pull it forward. And by virtue of that, pulling the UAS open, allowing the food to uh, the bowels to transfer down and close off the airway while the swallow is safe and then release, right? So that said, does it not make sense that you would want to mimic that movement with a peripheral stimulus, which is what you're doing. So you're applying a peripheral stimulus to the submental region, which is where the superhyoids are housed. You can see a visible, palpable, real, obvious, full contraction of those muscles on a normal. Now, on, on people who are impaired, obviously, they're not going to elicit the same response, but you are still evoking that. In other words, you are still trying to facilitate that. So, again, if you do that, only that, that is really going to do nothing. You're just strengthening the muscle, but you're not tying it to a functional task. That's the other key to NMES. NMES dictates that you have the right protocol at the right time with the right parameters on the right muscles and that they perform a functional task when the NMES is present. So you absolutely must swallow, and it can be a dry swallow, Use saliva swallow could be ice chips, right? But you absolutely must swallow with the stimulation. That's where the brain lights up. That's where cortical reorganization takes place. And they've done, again, a beautiful study with transcranial uh, magnetic stimulation, looking at the um, cortical activity that happens after just 10 sessions of NMES, pre-NMES, you know, very limited cortical activity for the swallowing center, post-NMES, 10 sessions later, huge, expect 400 increase in the cortical map expansion. So, again, we are doing real physiological, physical work that we could never, an exercise is never going to do that. It, not that you don't do exercises, but you're able to reach things that you are unable to reach. And again, this shouldn't even be a debatable issue. The questions we really should be asking is not does NMES work? It works. I'm telling you, it works. It's not just my word. It's the work of literally thousands, tens of thousands of researchers over hundreds of years. Textbooks have been written about the subject. So it works. You just have to understand how it works and use it correctly. The real question is not does it work, but what are the best protocols for a given patient population, which is what I've been working on and developing. So I discovered in my 20 years that I have a completely different electrical stimulation protocol for a head and neck cancer patient than I will for a Parkinson's patient and that I will might for a stroke patient or a patient with some sort of uh, osteophyte, for example, which I can actually work around with NMES by using head turns. So, it goes back to understanding the mechanism of dysfunction. Where's the breakdown in this patient's swallow? 
And would NMES have a positive effect on that particular dysfunction? So again, NMES works, but it doesn't work for everybody. And it doesn't work for all, you know, in, in all situations, under all conditions. And that's why education is so important. You have to really understand what each parameter does, how it works, and how it's going to elicit what it says it's going to elicit. And you have to apply it correctly. Yeah. How did you learn the different patient populations then, Teresa? How did you, is, is there studies or is there, you know, I know people are going to say, oh, what is, what are the magic numbers for patients with Parkinson's or what are the magic numbers for patients with head and neck cancer? Now, so let me ask for clarification. What do you mean by magic numbers? Like for the protocol, for the parameters. Oh, okay. Like for the parameters is what you're referring to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So this is basically through clinical experience. So again, 20 years teaching, um, practicing, learning under physical therapists, um, and, and having really good mentors as well, too, in the electrotherapy field, not the speech, not that I didn't have good speech pathology mentors, but in electrotherapy, um, people like Gad Alon, who's one of the most preeminent experts in electrotherapy, prolific researcher, Tim Watson. I mean, these are like the leaders. These are the, the Jerry Logamans of, of electrotherapy. Okay. So I was very fortunate. Um, and because I had a thorough understanding of how each parameter worked and because I was also skilled in, in being able to identify and diagnose swallowing disorders down to where the breakdown was occurring, it was kind of a natural marriage. And so it just, it, it was just basically I don't want to say trial and error, but that is often what we do in research and medicine and science. It, often that's how you start, right? You start with trial and error. You start with a hypothesis, right, that this is probably going to work, and, and you confirm that, or you disprove it, and then you, you decide to, to go to another way. So, again, it was just 20 years of working with patients, and I just happened to... Uh, see a lot of head and neck cancer patients. That really became a very strong focus of mine. As a matter of fact, I also have a background in film and theater and stuff. And I actually, I did a small, like a 10 minute documentary and I was going to do a full fledged documentary, but just things just didn't work out. Um, and, but maybe down the road I will. Um, but really it's just, it's just working with these patients and getting to know them and understanding where the problems are and what can I do? What tools do I have access to? And how can I use those tools wisely? So do you use exercise with your patients, Teresa? Of course. But do you have some sort of a structure or a method by which you introduce those exercises as far as the number of reps you might do, whether you have resistance, whether you don't have resistance in the exercise, right? But but let's face it, many speech pathologists just do exercises, right? Like, oh, here's exercises, right? And then they say, ah, these exercises didn't work. That's like saying going to the gym is not going to get you in shape. Of course, it's going to get you in shape. But what are you doing when you're in the gym? Are you sitting there on your phone, you know, just mildly like doing the bicycle, you know, for 10 minutes and saying, ah, this isn't working? Or are you seriously working out? Yeah. It's the same. These things have existed and been in developed, been in rehabilitation medicine for years, It's unfortunate that our training and background is not more like a physical therapist. Yeah. Because we are dealing with physical issues. We are dealing with muscle and nerve issues, right? Um, And yet we don't take a course in exercise physiology, which would be, I would think, immensely helpful, right? We don't take a course in modalities. What we should, why are we the one, you know, I, I use hot packs, I use cold packs, 
You know, I use all, I've even used ultrasound. I've been trained in these things because I worked with physical therapists, but this, I'm an anomaly. This should really be the norm, right? We should have access to all tools that are out there. They've been proven to work on every single muscle in the body. These muscles are no different. So why wouldn't we utilize modalities? It's just kind of sad. Actually, we're missing out. I hate to tell you, we are missing out seriously. And I would really hope that one day our educational programs would catch up. Yeah. I think there is such a desire, like so many of the episodes that I've done with, you know, people that are discussing exercise science or different modalities. Those are some of the most popular episodes that I've had. So clearly speech pathologists are wanting this information. They're wanting to learn, you know, how do we rehab our patients? That's why we all got into this. You know, nobody wants to just say, hey, do, you know, lift your tongue up 10 times. Nobody wants to do that. We want to have an active role in being that, you know, rehabilitative guide and actually helping our patients get better. Right. And we and we want them to get better. We don't want to just go, oh, there's nothing I can do. Or, well, I tried, you know, well, well, I've been seeing him for a month and he's not getting any better. So I guess it's time for discharge. No, maybe your approach is what's you know wrong. Right. I can't tell you. And and this isn't just in swallowing here, but this is really in, in all modalities. And I'll never forget. And it's really sad. But a speech pathologist who everybody thought was the cat's pajamas, you know, at the hospital where she worked, um, told, flat out told the spouse of a patient in front of the patient with aphasia, well, I can teach him words to say, but he's not going to understand anything he's saying. So what's the point? A speech pathologist said that to a spouse of a patient who had Broca's aphasia. Right. How can you? And then it was 10 years. That was 10 years prior before the day that I first saw him. And he I got him in yeah, small phrases, but he could answer the phone and talk to his kids for the first time in 10 years. You know, he couldn't say much, but he could say some basic things. He could ask some basic questions. He could answer do some one word answers. But again, to just to say that. Or the other is, you know, oh, he's maxed out, right? I hate that term. You know, he's met rehab potential. Who are you (laughs) to say what their rehab potential is? Maybe they maxed out your potential as a therapist, right? So not to say there aren't challenging cases and cases that, yes, we can't save everybody. We can't fix everybody. But we can improve most. And some we can definitively get them from a peg tube to a regular diet forever, unless something new happens. Yep. All right. So let's, let's dive into the evidence, Teresa. What do you got? Okay. Well, as I, um, you know, mentioned earlier, there's literally hundreds of years of research um, in NMES now. So let's, let's talk about two things here side by side. So we've got Tons of research in just the modality, okay, of electro. Let's go back to electrotherapy. In, excuse me. In the modality of electrotherapy, there's hundreds of years of research. As a matter of fact, the history of electrotherapy goes back to the time of Hippocrates, right? So, um, and then uh, where they used, um, they had metal tubs, 
And they would set patients in the tub and they had the torpedo fish, which carried a high degree of electrical uh, energy in it. And if they put the fish in the tub or sometimes actually put the fish right on the, the, the skin, just that's transcutaneous electrical stimulation in its first form. They literally put a fish on the skin and it would heal wounds or restore muscle function, um, weakness, uh, increase blood flow, you know, all kinds of documented results to using electrical stimulus. And of course, over time, it evolved until we actually had like little machines and devices. Um, but it was in 1893 that the very first article on electrical stimulation and dysphagia emerged. 1893, we're going back to. German scientist Frederick Ressy evoked the swallow of a rabbit using electrical stimulation. And then there were years of, we've got animal research on NMES for dysphagia, which most people are completely unaware of. Um, and then years of other research. Um, but it was in 1973 was the first real, what I would call the seminal article about NMES and dysphagia. And it was uh, published by George Larson, who was a physician in 1973, and he used um, ferrotic stimulation, which is a biphasic waveform, which is what proper NMES uses in the submental region, so above the thyroid notch, right, in the right place. So it was in the right place with the right parameters, the right time. And it was a very small study. It was five patients who had difficulty swallowing, and four out of the five recovered their ability to swallow. Um, and so that was the first. And that then prompted um, a lot of other research in that area. And then somewhere down there, it just kind of, I don't know if people lost interest or, you know, what happens sometimes you have these wonderful scientists who are doing wonderful work for the sake of the work. Sometimes there's no effort to translate it to the clinical practitioners I think the assumption is that the researchers think everybody's going to be reading all these scientific articles all the time and just glean what we can from it. And that's unreasonable, quite frankly. And it's also unfair, right? Because it should be the responsibility of somebody who is doing research that's going to change the lives of our patients to make that knowledge known in a very clear, concise, and um, informative, evidence-based manner so that we can change our clinical practices to reflect what the research has already shown. So again, the research is there, um, but unfortunately, like everything else, it became political. <laughs> So politics got involved and you had people who were just doggedly determined, literally, to prove that it doesn't work. For what reason? I cannot fathom. Why would you want to prevent therapists from accessing a modality that will deliberately help them achieve their outcomes, right? And if it didn't work, then wouldn't the therapist kind of figure that out, right? Would you, Teresa, if you started doing something else, oh, this, this is works, this is the greatest thing, blah, 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 use this with your patients, and you do it, right? And you do it, you know, with a few patients, and you see zero results. Are you going to continue to do it? No. No. So <laughs> the proof is in the pudding. So thousands of clinicians all over the world have been using the Viber protocol for decades now with 
excellent results. So there's your evidence. And if you look at now, ASHA has been very, they don't want to make a statement. If anything, they've been more on the negative end than they really should have been because really they should just be truly objective and they, they haven't been. But again, politics at play, you have people in power who influence people and that's what happens. <laughs> but um, if you look at the ASHA standards, it 100% support the use of NMES because when it talks about evidence-based practice, It says, and this is a direct quote from the ASHA website, now I'll read it so I don't misquote it, consider the results from individual studies and determine if the overall conclusion across studies are similar, right? That's basically systemic review, if you will, right? So I did that years ago for a talk that I did. And in that time, there were 177 articles on NMES and dysphagia. So we're talking maybe four or five years ago. Um, and out of that, there were 65 that were relevant to the, um, the actual practice of, of on humans, NMES, whatever. And out of those 65 studies, 69% had a positive outcome. Okay, so nearly 70% of these these studies are unrelated to one another, okay? This is the true evidence, right? When you can look at 65 studies from all over the world using all kinds of different, you know, approaches, if you will, still showing 70% positive outcomes. And then you had a very small amount, 9%, that showed either no outcome or a negative outcome. And what's interesting is, all of those studies were published by the same group of people. No one else has, has really shown, has replicated those studies. So again, you can use the wrong protocol and deliberately, or because you don't know any better, okay, you're, you're not as well versed or as knowledgeable in NMES. You're not an expert in NMES just because you do a research study on it. This doesn't make you an expert. Right. Yeah. Right. Just because you have those three letters after your name doesn't make you an expert necessarily. What it does is make you a an academic, a researcher. Right. And so you can say, yes, you're a skilled academic. You're a skilled researcher. But whatever you're studying doesn't mean that's what you're an expert in. Because you could just be studying anything. You're just applying the. And if you don't have the right information, or you and you use the wrong protocol, or you know you do have the information and you definitely want to prove that it doesn't work, and you use the wrong protocol, the average reader doesn't know the difference, right? They're looking. What do most people do? They read the abstract and they read the summary, right? Yep. Am I yep. right? That's what most people do, and I don't blame them because the rest is just. For some people, literally, it doesn't make, it doesn't translate for them, right? Because they're not researchers, right? A researcher reads an article, they can pick it apart, right? An acting, practicing clinician can certainly has the knowledge. We studied our research methods and stuff like that. But really, we just want to know, just give us the summary, right? Just tell us, does it work or does it? So we can go on because we're busy. Yeah, yeah. busy. Yeah. (laughs) So... And unfortunately, that's also why NMES kind of got muddy in the beginning, because some of the protocols that are out there dumbed it down. For, and, and I was told this flat out by that, because I said, why did you not allow clinicians to modify the parameters? That doesn't make sense. NMES says you have to be able to modify and customize the protocol. And the answer was, well, speech pathologists wouldn't understand how to do that. 
I'm like, so wait, our brains aren't as good as a physical therapy brain? Like somehow we're, we don't have the intellectual capacity to understand. So again, that's where, you know, if you look at the history of when it was introduced in the U.S., um, there was a lot of, again, misinformation and disinformation from the beginning. And the backlash to that was then the academic response was, this doesn't work at all. Right. Instead of this protocol doesn't work or this protocol has issues. It was all NMES doesn't work for dysphagia as if somehow they they their one article negates literally textbooks of information and hundreds of years of research. So, again, I digress and I have ADD for your listeners. You probably have already recognized it. That's okay. You're, you're not digressing at all, Teresa. So, so let me ask, where did, where did the Biber protocol come in? Where did this come in? You know, I'm, I'm assuming there's different protocols. There's different companies that have their own products that have their own protocols. And I'd love to hear why you created your own. Right. Well, you have to remember back in 1990, nobody else was really doing electrical stimulation for dysphagia. I was definitely, you know, one of, one of the first, actually 1996. So, uh, just a real quick story is, uh, so what happened was I was a CFY, very enthusiastic one, you know, and definitely medically, you know, bound and had worked at the, you know, did my internship at the Cleveland Clinic under an amazing mentor and just was so excited, was working in a subacute rehab hospital, um, where we saw all the patients, um, had to qualify for two out of the three therapies. So this is really aggressive, intensive rehab. And your listeners are going to be shocked when they hear what we were able to do back in the day. Such a boomer. Sorry, but I'm a young boomer. Is we had every patient twice a day for one hour sessions each. Talk about results. And, and I can tell you that will, that's what Medicare paid for. What I noticed was with the HMOs, they got like three sessions a week, which just goes to show you, you know, the differential and if the therapy is available. And that's a big issue. You know, that's a whole nother thing that we could talk about is, you know, and and the thing with electrical stimulation, just as a little digression, it should never be cost prohibitive. Matter of fact, patients can do it on their own at home. You can train a patient how to do electrical stimulation at home. Follow up with them as needed. You don't even need to be bringing them into the office. I mean, that's the beauty. I'm, I'm glad you said that. I, my husband has like a, I know it's not the same, but has like a TENS unit that his PT, you know, has him use at home. And, and I had that thought. I was like, why the heck does, you know, his PT just let him take this unit home, you know, hook himself up to the electrodes, turn on the protocol that, you know, the PT says. And, you know, why is it so forbidden, you know? Well, for us to do that. Thank you for that first yeah. experience. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Like, oh, somehow a speech therapy patient can't understand how to work a device. Again, come on, people. This is routine. And you're right. It's not the same, but it is the same. It's a, it's a, it is an electrical stimulation device. The TENS device and the NMS device in their internal components are 100% the same mechanism. The difference is the parameters and the protocol. So the protocol for that one is what we call an inhibitory protocol. So you're actually trying to inhibit nerve transmission, preventing the uh, noxious nerve stimuli from transmitting pain 
signals to the brain. You're, there's, it's called the gate control theory. So you're literally like closing the gate so it can't get to the brain to transmit that information. So you're inhibiting. And with a TENS protocol, for example, you can wear it for like eight, 10 hours a day, right? For as long as, and you get a carryover effect as well. Um, but again, the device is the same. It's just, that's the protocol. Now, an NMES protocol is an excitatory protocol. You're exciting the nerves. You're waking them up, which is exactly what we need in our patients whose nerve muscle connections have been impacted by some external factor, all right? Disease, illness, trauma, surgery, whatever. But something has prevented those nerves and muscles from communicating correctly for sensory issues as well, right? And so you are activating the exact nerves that are activating the exact muscles that you need to move when that patient swallows. I mean, it's so logical. It's it's sad that, again, this just wasn't accepted readily as something else that we do with our patients, right? And let's start teaching modalities courses. So back to how I got involved in it. So I'm in this rehab hospital and patients were put on a, a master schedule, a big whiteboard with a master schedule. So you, and you get a printout of that. And so, um, you know, it's 10 o'clock. I've got Mrs. Smith coming in for her, her, her dysphagia therapy appointment. She, it's 10 o'clock. She hasn't shown up. I look on the schedule. I see that she's in OT. So I just walk down the hallway to the OT department to pick up my patient who's obviously running late. No big deal, right? She's finishing her session. But what I walked into was like, what's going on here? So this patient, Mrs. Smith, I'll call her, was hemiparetic. Uh, she had a very significant, you know, dense uh, right hemiparesis, upper and lower extremity, right? And I see this right arm on a table with two pads, and it's moving. There's a paralyzed arm moving. How the heck do you get a paralyzed arm? I'm like, what is this, right? Again, remember, I'm a CFY, so I'm like, ah, you know, what is that? That's electrical stimulation. How does it work? And they explain it to me. And then the next words out of my mouth, well, why don't we have that? Like, what, 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 how come you guys get that and we don't get that? I could use that for my facial paralysis patients, right? My Bell's palsy patients. I could use that for my swallowing patients. And they looked at me like I had two heads. They're like, you can't do that. Nobody's ever done that. I'm like, well, just because nobody's ever done that doesn't mean it can't be done. I mean, isn't that the worst thing? Well, we've always done it this way, right? Well, maybe maybe you should change, right? Maybe there's a new way, right? So um, it really just kind of, that was the aha moment that I had. I was like, wait a minute. Okay, why wouldn't it work? And why can't I use it? So I had to do research, again, boomer reference, the old-fashioned way, driving my car to a library, right? Got to go to the library, got to go to the card catalog. And then in the library, and I'm assuming they still do this, I don't know, they have the, it's actually kind of nice because they actually have the physical journals bound in a binder. So for a year of that publication, they've got, you know, every month, like in this big binder, and it's the actual physical, you know, journal article, um, which I don't know about you, I just prefer reading Paper instead of screens, just so much easier. But anyway, so then I'd have to make photocopies, go to the photocopy machine, copy it, blah, 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 whatever. Um, and that's when I discovered the article about Frederick Rethy, um, the George Larson article. And that was it. That was all I needed was like, okay, this is crazy. This can be done. Well, I just happened to have the good fortune 
of after four months of working at the subacute rehab hospital, I got a job offer back at the Cleveland Clinic. I was like, yay. All right. Not that I didn't love my job there, but like that was a really awesome place. And it was also, it's a teaching hospital. So this is, they're always innovating, right? They're always wanting new ideas. It was like new ideas were welcome. And so I sat down with the head of the uh, otolaryngology department, head and neck surgeon. Um, I sat down with a physical therapist who uh, was the most skilled in electrotherapy, you know, my mentor uh, in speech pathology myself. And we had a little powwow, had a little meaning. And the questions were asked, what do you, Teresa, what muscles do you want to stimulate and why? You know, and then I told him, I said, well, this is the protocol that you would use. And if we're going to do this, let's do this under the supervision of the physical therapy department. So for two years, I worked alongside the physical therapist in the gym using a booth. I had my own booth. I had my own table. I had everything. It was, I had my own, I mean, I had access to, and that's when I began to learn about the other modalities. I'm like, well, what do you use hot packs for? Yeah. Can you train me in that? Um, and so it really radically changed the trajectory of my outcomes for my patients, which is the bottom line. So what happened was at that same time, when I'm working under the supervision of the physical therapist and implementing this protocol, um, with mostly with outpatients initially, uh, we were asked to be one of the uh, organizations to be involved in the NOMS data project. So this was the development of NOMS, and we were asked to submit our outcome data. And the reason for that was what they wanted to get, they, they were reaching out to what they considered to be, you know, really nice, good facilities and stuff that would probably have a good staff and a good department. And what they wanted to do was to gather that data um, to kind of test out their functional scales, right? Um, but also to take that information back to payer sources and say, see, speech therapy works. Like this patient was on a feeding tube, which cost you a lot more money than now this patient is eating food, which costs you no money, right? So we were having to submit all of our outcome data while I'm doing electrical stimulation with my patients. So we would get these beautiful reports, you know, with the findings from the average outcomes for swallowing therapy in, you know, Arizona, or, you know, so you'd have regions and you'd have hospitals versus outpatient centers versus nursing homes. My outcomes on that functional non-scale were 2.5 higher than anyone else in the United States of America who was submitting outcome data to ASH at that time. And all of a sudden, the phone started ringing. What are you doing with your patients? Why are your patients getting so much better than our patients? And I just began sharing the information. And then it prompted me. Actually, I was pretty much begged to develop the first course, which I taught in 2001 at, as part of a featured speaker at the Arizona Speech and Hearing Association um, annual meeting. And then the rest is history. It's just been, I've been doing it ever since. I've had some very interesting setbacks um, externally, but I'm still here and NMES still works. (laughs) Yeah. uh, And thousands of clinicians all over the world are using it, performing millions of treatments every day. So um, I'm just delighted. And it's funny. I never called it the Biber protocol. People just started calling it that. And so 
finally, I was like, okay, I just need to accept it. That's what people are going to. Yeah. So, but that's how it developed. Um, and, and it was in that interim that I was reading the textbooks on electrotherapy. I was attending courses that were designed for physical therapists. Actually, I was even invited to present at a physical therapy electrotherapy course on my work that I was doing at the time. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been a heck of a ride. Um, I've had, you know, three devices gone to the FDA, have been approved of protocol. Now a fourth one, finally get my name on it. <laughs> yeah. So that's awesome. awesome. Uh, yeah. And it, and the, the most rewarding thing is we're back to why did I do this to help patients? And if I'm, my patients are getting better, yours aren't, and you would benefit from what I'm doing, then by God, I am obligated to share that with you. And I can't tell you how many pro bono, you know, one-on-one courses I've done just because I just want people to understand the truth. And the truth is NMES is a proven modality. It will help your patients. It'll save you time. It'll save you money. It'll save you lives. You just need to use it correctly. You need to know what you're doing and know who to use it on. And your results are going to be remarkable. Yeah. Awesome. Are there any, I know this is sort of a loaded question, Teresa, are there any patient populations that you would say absolutely do not do it with, or that we know for a fact it doesn't work with, or is it sort of every, every patient's different case by case basis? Okay. That's not a loaded question at all. It's a perfectly legitimate um, question. Um, So the, so number one, first and foremost, you can never use NMES on a patient with a defibrillator. Defibrillator. <laughs> Defibrillator. Um, absolutely not. Will not. Now, pacemaker is a different story. Pacemaker absolutely is safe, but I have actually designed a protocol to guarantee under the supervision of a pacemaker rep that it is indeed safe. And that protocol can be uh, found on my website under clinician resources uh, for future reference. So defibrillator, absolutely not. Pacemaker, yes, but I highly recommend a pacemaker test. Obviously, pacemaker-defibrillator combo, no. Once defibrillator's in there, that's out. There are, that is the the, the definitive never use it patient. But, and the second one I would say is understanding the mechanism of dysfunction. So if you have a patient with a primarily oral dysphagia, right? You can use NMES um, in some facial ways, um, but you, you, and you could probably get some results, but like if it came to a buccal cavity, like pocketing, yes, but tongue movement, no. Base of tongue, yes. Oral tongue, no. We don't have anything. So if, for example, a patient, um, I'm thinking like of an ALS patient, literally has zero tongue mobility, But once the food gets back to the pharynx, they actually swallow, you know, fairly safely. Well, then, no, NMES isn't going to do anything for them. Not that I don't use it on ALS patients, because, again, it does, uh, it is on a case-by-case basis. And it's not so much the patient population as it is understanding the mechanism of dysfunction. And if it's a chronic illness, chronic progressive illness, as opposed to an acute onset, obviously, you're going to have different, but Let's go back to what I was saying before. Let's say you have somebody with Parkinson's, right, which is a chronic progressive illness. I can see amazing results with patients with Parkinson's. My favorite thing for for me to hear from my Parkinson's patients was, I don't seem to have any saliva anymore, right? I don't seem to have any. These are the patients that are drooling constantly, blah, blah, blah. Why? Because they're swallowing more efficiently. 
But once they leave my session, they will maintain those gains for a time. But again, the illness, the progression of the illness is going to continue. So they go home with their own device. They can maintain their swallowing function over years. They never have to see you again unless some event happens, you know, with something radically changes. Um, and so, again, it's all about understanding the population that you're working with, the tool that you have to work with, and what your limitations might be, right, and what the potential therapeutic benefits are. So I hope that answers your question. Uh, let's, talk, let's talk about head and neck cancer for a minute, because that's definitely another population that there's some buzz about. So absolutely, NMES works. However, not independent of manual soft tissue manipulation. So the primary problem with head and neck cancer that contributes to dysphagia is fibrosis, right? And as that uh, chronic proliferative fibrosis actually expands, and and, uh, that's chronic proliferative, that's what it's, it's doing. You know, that tissue becoming harder and stiffer, less vascularized, right? Less able to transmit nerves. And you are literally, what you have is a lock on the larynx. You're literally locking the larynx in place. And, you know, you see things like laryngeal stasis, right? The larynx just does not move. Now, again, does it does not move because there's not a good nerve muscle connection? Possibly. Or does it not move because it's being held down by tissue, right? That has become so hard and so immalleable that the larynx can't go anywhere. So no amount of NMES is going to change that fact. However, if you soften the tissues of the region and then apply NMES, you're going to have fantastic outcomes. But again, it's chronic and proliferative. And so how many times have we seen head and neck cancer patients that we got them eating and drinking great, and then six months later, they're in with an aspiration pneumonia, right? Because again, it doesn't stop. So NMES will literally hold it at bay. They can do it every day. They can do it three times a day, right? On their own. But they also are trained how to do soft tissue work, how to do manual therapy. I actually teach a course in manual therapy, um, but I put it aside because it really requires, you know, hands-on, one-on-one. Hands-on. COVID, yeah. Kind of like, yeah, you know, I'll wait on that for now. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's yeah. how long. But uh, that said, there are techniques out there. And if you don't know them, maybe you know a therapist that does. Or, or phys- I used to initially, I would refer my head and neck cancer patients to a good physical therapist who did fantastic manual work. She would see them first. I would follow up with my electrical stimulation protocol. And then she would train them how to do the manual therapy at home. I would train them how to do electrical stimulation at home. Once they achieved a really good outcome, then I would send them on their own. And then they would follow up as needed. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Teresa. I think that was a a wonderful explanation. I think I understand when people say, oh, it's a case-by-case basis, but it's also equally frustrating because it's like, well, what makes well, this case, case different? <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so thank you for, yeah. for explaining that because that, that, right. you know, made a lot of sense and that's very helpful. So good. I'm glad. And you know, that is my MO is oh, I'm all about education. Okay. I'm, this is, this is my passion. My passion. I was born to help other people. It's in my DNA. It is in my blood. And I don't care if it's a person on the street that needs help, a helping hand. Um, I don't care if it's, you know, you need somebody to go with you to the doctor, whatever. I'm here to help, right? And when it comes to helping, that's why I'm in the field, right? Obviously, because I'm a helper. 
I want my patients to come in and feel confident that I am there 100% dedicated to their best outcome possible. And I will give them my all. And part of that means having access to all the tools that are already out there and already proven to work. And we need to have access to all of them. You want to know how to get um, a voice patient to relax their larynx in five minutes? Put a hot pack on them. Amazing. A hot pack, right? And here we are going, okay, you just need to be, and we're never really even taught to put our hands on patients, really. No, it was like a big no-no for a long time. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was trying to sit across from a patient in the desk. That's how you did speech therapy, right? And I'm not, because I guess I'm a very physical person. Just a little side note, uh, I mentioned acting and theater, like physical comedy is like my thing. I I love it. So I'm just, and I'm also a very affectionate person. You know, I'm a very touchy person. I'm very sensitive to not everybody is like that. And so I always ask permission. Would you mind, I'm going to put my hands gently, you know, on the side of your neck here. I'm going to do some light touch. Are you okay with that? Obviously, you always ask permission. I've never had anybody refuse. Never. You know, because you're there, you've already let them know that you're there to help. Um, And so, again, I think so much of what we do has been influenced by the school SLP kind of training, you know, and and we just haven't really had solid training back to what I was saying earlier in the modalities and exercise physiology in manual touch and manual therapy and how the human touch can also evoke amazing healing and therapeutic properties. You know it and I know it. When someone is going through grief, when you can just simply just put your hand on their hand, a simple gesture like that can absolutely change the biochemistry in their body to be more relaxed at that moment in time. And of course we know the, the, you know, the value of a hug, we, we, we can't always hug everybody, but just a, you know, a gentle hand on somebody who needs comfort, you know, and then certainly with a therapeutic intent, putting your hands on somebody's neck, you know, behind their neck, you know, their shoulders, their chest and their diaphragm, how else do they understand how these mechanisms work? And because it's not like a bicep, you can see it. You know what I mean? You're like, oh, lift your larynx up and hold it up for three seconds, right? Like you try to do it. Right, right, <laughs> I've right. I've had doctors, I've had physicians. I'm like, try, like, let me do something with you. And they're like, do what? Like, what do you want me to do? I'm like, you know, lift your larynx up, hold it for three seconds. And like, well, how do I lift you? It's like, but this is what we ask patients to do. But you can you can just apply two simple pads under the chin and lift the lyrics for them. Like, talk about feedback. Talk about kinesthetic feedback, real-time feedback. All right. Well, awesome, Teresa. This has been a great, a great conversation. Well, good. I'm glad. Okay. So yeah, Teresa, I would love to hear any sort of game-changing articles, you know, research papers, anything that really have had a huge impact on your practice or changed the way that you've thought about things. Yeah. Well, thanks. You know, I I shared earlier the like the 18, you know, 93 article Frederick Ruffian, that definitely the George Larson. But I have to say that there um is a quote from one article that I I'd like to read. Um it's from the Yale Journal of Biology and Medicine. So, yeah. 
pretty legitimate article, I would say. Um, and it's by Doucette Lamb and Griffin, who are um, leaders in the field of physical therapy and in particularly in the area of electrotherapy. And the, the article was written in 2012, and it was entitled Neuromuscular Electrical Stimulation for Skeletal Muscle Function. And there was a quote in there that was so affirming to me, because this is what I had been teaching for 11 years up until this point. And this is what they said. The delivery of electrical stimulation can be customized to reduce fatigue and optimize force output by adjusting the associated stimulation parameters. A full understanding of the settings that govern the stimulation is vital for the safety of the patient and the success of the intervention. Consideration should be given to the frequency, pulse width, duration, duty cycle, intensity, amplitude, ramp time, pulse pattern, program duration, program frequency, and muscle group activated. When I saw that, I am like, woohoo! That's it. You know, you're preaching to the choir because that is the fact. NMES works as long as you use it correctly. And you can save time, money, and lives with NMES. And the fact that we're not all using NMES in our practice is a sad thing because here's a modality that has the power to change everything. And there are people who don't want you to use it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Why? Yeah. I know. What, I know. What is the agenda there? Well, I actually do know the agenda, but that's a, that's for a whole nother podcast. <laughs> I can tell you. But yeah. So again, it works. It works. You just got to use it correctly. You have to get proper education and use the right protocol. And again, if you go to the website, you can get a lot of this information. And I will say, and I have always been this way, and anyone who has ever known me will confirm this to be true. Anyone can reach me anytime they want with any question they have. And probably the best way is just to go to the contact me um, form on my website. And I will answer you within 24 hours. More often than not, sometimes with, you know, sometimes within an hour, but, you know, definitely within 24 hours, I'm going to answer you. And what no question is wrong, right? No question is too bizarre or too crazy or whatever. You know, please, I am here to educate, to help and to help you get your patients swallowing again in a much more cost effective manner. It, again, it should not be cost prohibitive. It really should cost very little for you to implement this in your daily treatment. Um, and that's an unfortunate. You've had commercial enterprises, shall we say, whose focus is corporate shareholders and big money and they got to make a profit and they get a, you know, they put a lot into advertising budgets and all of that. And that's not always um, the most legitimate way to approach things. You know, it's all about education. It's not about sales. Okay. I guess that's where I'm going. I'm not trying to sell you anything. I'm just trying to help you get your patients better. If you buy something in the process, if you buy the Viber Plus, that's fantastic. That's icing on the cake for me. That's not what this is about. This is about you getting your patients off feeding tubes, eating and drinking again, restoring quality of life, 
I can't imagine never being able to eat and drink again. I, I just, I literally, you know, I hate to say it, but if I were in a wheelchair, I, I, you know, I can deal with that, you know, but not being able to communication is key. I mean, not being able to communicate and not being able to eat and drink. What we do is the most powerful thing for a human being. Nutrition, sustenance, pleasure, right? And communication. We should be like the heroes of rehabilitation. I agree. I agree. We're kind of like this bastard child that nobody really, half of people still even understand what we do. And yet we have all these organizations that are like, what are you guys doing to teach the public what we do? You know, in a, in a study they did, um, about dysphagia, uh, it was, uh, they interviewed, I think it was like 250 nursing home patients. And I remember one of the statistics was that, um, something like 70%, uh, or maybe it was 44% believe that there was no treatment for their problem. So nearly half of the people who are suffering from dysphagia believe that there's nothing that can be done. And it's not very helpful when there are people in our own field saying, well, that doesn't work. Well, you can't do that. Well, that doesn't work. This doesn't work. And that was like, okay, that's not helping. Right. Come up with something that does work. If you don't like what we're doing, come up with your own thing. Right. But stop trying to negate what we're trying to do, which is simply get patients better. Did you, and I don't know if I found this statistic recently, were you aware that the global statistic, what, what would you say the percentage of people globally who have dysphagia? Oh, it's something, something like 12%. Is that no. something like that? No. Oh, no higher. Higher. 18. No. 24. Very close. 23. 23% of global citizens. Yeah. Have dysphagia. Yeah. Well, and, I, and honestly, Teresa, that's why I wrote my book because I just there's I would I get so many emails from patients like, "Can you help me?" And I'm like, "Ah, yes, <laughs> yes, no, like sort of." Yeah, can I tell you how many emails I've gotten from patients? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. And I, listen, I, I have to t- share this story, and I know we're probably going over time, but I, I wish I could have like taken pictures of it somehow or filmed it because it was just the most precious thing. But this there was um, a gentleman in the country of Niger that reached out to me. And this is back when I was working for uh, the Broward Health Organization, Imperial Point Medical Center. And they had some feature, had me featured. I was on the news a few times and stuff. So anyway, he found, you know, through that website and his father had had a stroke. And of course, there is no help anywhere. And so I agreed. This is back. Skype. Remember Skype? (laughs) I agreed to Skype with him. And when I Skyped with him, and if I tell you the conditions under which this person was living, I mean, it was a hut. It literally was a hut. And there's, but what was so adorable was here's a son so devoted to helping his father, you know, regain the ability to eat and drink again, that he's seeking out, you know, somebody out there that could help and the whole village was coming by and like walking by like, oh, there's the lady from America that's helping him, you know, and it was just the most beautiful impression. And and to this day, I mean, it was just an honor to be a part of that. And that's what I do. That's what I love. I love helping. I want people to enjoy food the way I enjoy food. <laughs> right. I want to be able to, you think about it. 
food is the great connector. It's the glue, right? What do you do when you get together with your friends? You get something to eat and drink, right? What do you do when somebody's born? You bring them food. And, you know, even when somebody dies, what do you do? You all eat and you drink and you sit and you talk and that's what you do. It's what brings us together as cultures, as um, fellow human citizens, um, religious holidays revolve around specific foods, you know, um, national holidays revolve around specific foods. You know, it's not Thanksgiving if there's no turkey or well, if you can't eat turkey, that kind of sucks, you know, yeah. especially yeah. everyone yeah. else is having a great time enjoying it. And then they all feel guilty because you're not able to join and then their whole. So it, dysphagia doesn't just affect the person. It affects everyone who knows them. And it does. how many people can explain to another layperson, well, I can't swallow. What? <laughs> what do you mean you can't swallow? Like, it's such a weird. And again, because we have nothing in the area of public education. By the way, just I don't know if it'll happen, but I'm trying to get um, a TED Ed animation made up um, for electrotherapy. And then I'll do some others as well. Um, but yeah, there needs to be more public education, more public awareness and the right information. Facts, the truth, the value, the benefits, um, time, money and lives. Who doesn't want to do that with their patients? Right. Yeah. So awesome. Well, thank you, Teresa. This has been a, a wonderful episode. I could chat with you for forever. So I know. Well, me too. We're, you know, that's speech pathologist, right? We're, 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 we're communicators. <laughs> we like communicating. Um, yeah. It's All right. So pleasure. yeah. So if, if you have any, any further questions, you can reach out to Teresa on her website. It's the Biber, B-I-B-E-R protocol.com. Um, you can reach out to her there. So thank you again, Teresa. I appreciate you so thank much. Thank you, Teresa. It was really a great joy and pleasure. Thank you again for all the work that you do. And again, your listeners, reach out, ask me questions. I'm here for you. Awesome. To download the show notes from this episode, please visit SwallowYourPridePodcast.com. There you can also sign up for our email so that you'll never miss another episode. If you like what you hear, then please subscribe, leave a review on iTunes, and share it on social media with your friends and colleagues, because that is what keeps these episodes coming. If you'd like to be a guest, share feedback, or request a topic to be discussed on the show, please email podcast at TeresaRichard.com. Special credit to Danny B. Socrates for her amazing audio and editing skills and to Marissa Hendrickson for managing all the things behind the scenes. As always, thanks so much for listening and see you next week.